Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast and our superintendent series. Today's episode is brought to you by Toro. Golfers get custom fit clubs for longer, straighter shots. Now using the adjustable technology on Toro's new Greensmaster 1000 series walk green mower, superintendents can dial in operator performance for precise, consistent cuts. The Greensmaster's telescoping handle has five different positions, so the operator's posture will be as perfect as a tour pro's, whether he's tall and skinny or short and husky. And the handle's rubber mounts have just enough cushion to prevent any hand movements from influencing the cut. Sounds like Toro's solved the mower yips. Maybe they can fix the putting yips next. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. All right, we got a great podcast today. It is almost U.S. Open week at Torrey Pines. So I had a conversation with Rich McIntosh, who is the head superintendent of the South Course at Torrey Pines. I mean, this is a crazy championship. I think this is one of the, you know, something that gets kind of brushed under the rug is Rich, who manages one of the busiest golf courses in America. I mean, this place does so many rounds. It's one of the, you know, five or six most played golf courses in America. It's a municipal golf course, and now it's hosting a national championship. Uh, I was out there in March, and, and Rich's, the conditions were incredible. I mean, you go to Torrey Pines, you get country club-like uh, conditions of, with turf and everything. He does an incredible job, and uh, really excited for him to have all of his hard work on display this week at the U.S. Open. So we talked to Rich just about the you know, stress and, and difficulty of preparing a municipal golf course for the U.S. Open, as well as a few things that make Torrey Pines and agronomy there unique and what we should expect to see at this year's U.S. Open in terms of course conditions and uh, how he got there. So without further ado, here's our podcast with Rich. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. So I, I got to ask you, um, I was out there for media day and I, I felt like I got, I got run through the U S open gauntlet in terms of, of pin positions. Was, was that a USGA decision or was that, was that kind of the revenge of the greenskeeper? Uh, I'd have to look at what the pin location was, but we have, uh, we have one pin position. We, you know, we do the five different pin locations and there's one that is just they just happened to seem like they all got tucked and it very well could have fallen on that day. But, um, and you, you know, and I, and I don't, I don't really dictate any of that. I leave it up to, to my setup guys, but, um, depending on the day they're having, they, they can be tucked a little bit, uh, more than others, but it, it very well just could have been that location that day. Yeah. We, we felt like you guys were beating up on us. We were trying to, trying to get us, uh, you know, Get expose all of our games. You know, I felt like every pin was it was the uh, I was playing the Sunday of the U.S. Open. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that from people on certain days, and you know, it's like, did you do it? Because I was here, and I was like, no, I, you know, I didn't even 
didn't even think about it. So, it, you know, it, coincidence, it just happened to fall on that day. <laughs> yeah, it was such a juxtaposition because we played Olympic the uh, the day before. And it was like, uh, it was your typical like Monday outing, dead center pin on every hole. Like, just like couldn't put it more in the middle of the green. And then we went to Tory and it was just like, oh my God, this pin is just in a really tough spot to get to. Hole after hole. So, it, but it was fun. It was, uh, it was, it was a good way to experience it. So, uh, obviously, Tory Pines, you're, you're the head superintendent of the South Course there. It is one of the busiest, if not, you know, one of probably the 10 busiest facilities in America. Um, how are you guys doing, you know, working with being a municipal facility heading into, uh, the U.S. Open here in a couple weeks? Uh, it's something, obviously, the rounds are a big challenge and, and the, the amount of rounds that we do. Uh, and, it, and it's something since I've gotten here that we've really tried to focus on our, our main traffic areas and good cultural practices with water management and, and sand top dressing and um, really working on those areas that were beat up uh, when I got here just from the constant constant traffic you know your drive ons and offs around greens and beginnings of fairways and around bunkers um i think we've over the last four or five years we've really improved those areas uh to withstand that traffic and then you know just trying to create a, a strong healthy plant across the entire property to where the grass can can withstand some more stress than than it may have in the past um you know it's it's the same thing we do leading up to the farmers uh, in January is we, we kind of have to baby everything. We can't get too quick, too fast as far as our, our cultural practices and really working on the texture of the greens and the surfaces. Um, we got to be careful um, to not do too much too early. And so, you know, we really just baby, baby the golf course up until, you know, two or three weeks before. And once we get to that point, then we really start to push uh, playing surfaces and, and try and get our firmness up and our speeds up. So it's a lot with water management and then just, you know, really focusing on plant health and, and make sure we're not doing anything that could potentially, you know, put us back or, you know, make us force us to take a step back or, or slow down. I'm um, um, leading up to the advance week and then championship week. Is, the, is there a reduction of play leading in, or is it, you know, pretty much sta standard day at Torrey leading in? We have, uh, we, we reduce play, um, and, and the car traffic's a big one, too. So we reduce car traffic to car pass only. I think we did that about a month out, month and a half out. Um, and then beginning of May, we uh, cut off twilight. So no tea times after 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which... You know, it doesn't seem like a lot. Uh, you know, it's probably a hundred rounds a month, but um, you know, that extra traffic in the afternoons really does does help us out a lot. Well, I imagine too that that's a great time for your crew to get out and do work. At, you know, when there's no because that's got to be one of the toughest things is you're not you're not working at a club where tea times start at eight a.m. on Saturdays. You know, these the, the tea times start you know, 20 minutes before the sun's up. Yeah, no, that is, that has been extremely difficult. Um, and, it, and it's something that we've been able to plan for and kind of work through and learn. Um, you know, we really need to front load our morning work, uh, morning maintenance. Cause in the afternoons, we, 
you know, it, it slows down, takes two or three times to do do certain assignments. So we do front front load the the mornings and then that afternoon maintenance um, without twilight allows us to get some work done on those first few holes and then gives us a jump start in the mornings to stay ahead of play. Um, so it does, it, it, it helps a lot. You know, we don't, like you said, we don't have closed Mondays. We don't have any closed days. Um, so it is a challenge. Six, 618 tee times in the week and then first light on the, on Saturdays and Sundays. So it, it is definitely a, uh, a challenge with, uh, with those tea times. I'm curious, obviously you probably, I'm not sure if you guys do do the reduced cart traffic ahead of the farmers, but what, what have you noticed about, you know, going to this cart path only like where, has there been any revelations in terms of areas that you didn't see such benefits with, with having carts and, you know, the, uh, just overall the, I've, there's obvious impacts of carts, but have, have you found anything that you didn't expect to, you know, turn up that has turned up with the reduced carts? Uh, yes. I mean, we, we do, um, pull back on carts or cart traffic, you know, we do go cart pass only and, and for the, before the farmers as well. And a big factor in that is our overseed in the winter um, and then low light and, and, you know, not a lot of light in the winter. Um, you know, it, it rough is a big defense of this golf course. And for us to uh, achieve the density and, and the height of rough, we need to reduce traffic as much as possible. And, and the more carts we have out there and, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a big believer in cart signs um, in front of approaches. I think it can tend to uh, focus traffic in, in a certain area. So we kind of just let them scatter. Um, but just, you know, people, will they drive on and drive off in the same areas, just, you know, natural, naturally. Uh, it seems like there's some good places. So we don't, it reduces compaction. It allows us to have that dense and thick rough. Um, it allows us to get the height on rough and, 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 you know, we're dealing with it right now, just with foot traffic around green, some of those walk on walk offs areas and those tight areas around bunkers and greens. Um, and, and, you know, we put up ropes to, you know, keep the traffic off our areas we're, we're struggling with a little bit, but there's less water inputs. There's less fertility inputs. You don't need that, that water and that fertilizer to allow or give the plant enough food to recover from all that stress. And I think we saw a big, I think the biggest thing that we saw in relation to traffic is when we closed down for six weeks for COVID right at the beginning of when it started and, and golf went through that down period, at least in California, my assistants asked me if I threw a ton of fertilizer out on the golf course, cause it just was growing out of control. And it was, I was you know, it's like, haven't done anything you guys would have known uh didn't you know we're not putting any more water out it's just taking the traffic off the golf course the plants just exploded with with the amount of fertility that we typically keep in uh or on the golf course to recover from that traffic stress so i think that's the biggest thing is and that and it's it's what we really have to watch going into championship week and 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 tournament week for the farmers is we really need to control our fertility inputs and our growth regulator inputs because we will see a big jump um, in growth when we take that traffic off advance week uh, leading up to the tournament. 
So it's super interesting. Obviously, you know, you'd be, people think about like the revenue that's generated from carts, um, which is obviously a huge part of golf courses. But on the flip side, those carts lead to you know costs in terms of water uh, inputs with the fer- uh, fertilizer, and then you know there's obviously the environmental cost of that, right? Yeah, and I don't, you know, it's, there's been a lot of talk in the industry, I think, of all the increased cart traffic due to COVID and single rider carts and whatnot. And we've, we've seen that. I mean, we, we've deal with that outside of COVID. Um, if someone wants to buy a cart and ride alone, they, they buy a cart and ride alone um, based on, on that revenue. And, um, you know, we have electric carts, so I guess, you know, I guess we're using a little bit more electricity, but we haven't really seen if, if people can ride together in carts, they typically choose to ride together in carts. Um, but it, you know, and that, you know, I, I haven't been able to quantify water and fertility inputs. Um, mm. haven't been able to go that long throughout the year of, of no traffic or, you know, increased traffic to really quantify those those numbers so i you know i don't know how big of an impact it it has or doesn't Mm -hmm. yeah well either way walking's uh walking makes your life a lot easier right i rather walk yes i rather walk a golf course (laughs) than than ride for sure um yeah the the paths out there there you're walking almost more if you you walk from the paths out there absolutely you know which is good thing absolutely um i i I want to know a little bit more about your background. Uh, what were you doing before you got the uh, you know the head superintendent job there at, at Torrey Pines? Uh, I was uh, first assistant or senior assistant uh, superintendent at Mirfield Village. Um, I think it was two or three years before uh, I moved out here, and and before that, I uh, I started at Mirfield right out of college or right you know my last semester of college and, and kind of stayed there for up until I came out here. So it was eight years, eight or nine years at Mirfield before coming out here. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, the tournament golf has been in, in my blood since I got into the industry. It, that's got to be kind of a big juxtaposition going from Mirfield village to, you know, a municipality. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the differences in terms of, you know, the superintendent job at, at a private club versus a uh, municipal facility? Uh, yeah. Talk about two different ends of the spectrum. Um, <laughs> yeah. The high end private club to, to a municipal, you know, golf course that obviously your, your rounds and traffic and whatnot. Um, I think it's allowed me to learn a different side of the business. Um, I've definitely uh, learned more about, um, I guess, the government side um, and, and politics and how they, you know, everywhere has politics, right? But, you know, it seems like uh, politics in the, in the municipality or government is, is the politics that we see that run the country and, and municipalities and cities all over the place. So it's really allowed me to gain and appreciate the um, service workers and, and how and why um, we do certain things the way we do in a, in a public uh, municipal uh, setting. 
uh, and, and and which you know you can see all the way up to to the federal level um, but it is different you know it's allowed it's allowed me to learn a, a different side of the industry and really gain experience um, ac- across a wide spectrum um, of the golf industry but it's definitely different both you know it has its ups and downs in both both sides yeah that that makes sense. With the, you know, obviously the city of San Diego um, operates more than just Tory. Um, they have other courses. Do you guys work with the other superintendents within the the you know the portfolio of golf courses, or is it is it pretty siloed off uh, where your facility works together as a north and uh, south course? Uh, North and South, uh, no, we, you know, we work as a one big team with Balboa uh, Park and Mission Bay. Um, You know, everything that we go through as far as um, bids for sand and fertilizer and seed uh, and then our equipment leases, you know, we're all looped into one big portfolio and we work together and, you know, we'll have staff uh, go down to those two courses during their airifications and they'll send staff up here to help out for our airifications and our tournaments. So it is one big, uh, collaborative effort and, um, you know, we'll, we'll help them out and they'll help us out. Mm-hmm. What are, what are some of the unique things, aspects of working on the ocean, how it, how it impacts, you know, your, your day-to-day job and turf conditions? Well, right now we're dealing with uh, no sun. So we've been, uh, you know, our May, gray, June gloom is in full effect. And uh, we've been socked in pretty good with with cloud cover the last couple of weeks. And it's really, you know, I think coming here and, and, and working here for the last five and a half or so years, you really understand um, how light water and air oxygen really play a part in and the health and the growth of of the grass and um you know we struggle you know we're not seeing any sunlight you know i have you know we go out with our fertilizer applications and you know you sit there and it just doesn't seem like it's reacting and, and where's it at and um you know my first year here then you know, the farmers was you know kind of freaking out like a you know, I'm not going to have any rough, what's going on. And then, you know, you take the traffic off or you get a little bit of rain to push the salts down through the profile and see some sun to get the plant going. And then, you know, it just jumps out of the ground. So it's, you have to be patient. Um, and it, it seems like we always get close and, you know, we're struggling in some areas, but then it always comes together. But, um, the salt, salt from the the ocean the the marine layer um the cloud cover in may and june and then you know we don't see big temperature swings we're 55 to 60 in the mornings and you know we'll get 65 75 in the afternoons and you know you drive five minutes inland and they're 90 to 100 degrees so it's it's a very unique climate sitting right on the coast and and the bluffs uh, at tory pines just seems like you know i'll drive north or drive south to meetings and come back and you just see one giant cloud sitting over Torrey Pines. So doesn't doesn't seem to ever want to leave us, but you know, we'll get lucky and get some sunlight here and there uh in the month of May and June. 
See, a 55 to 75 sounds pretty good, you know, for a daily basis. You know, that's whatever, you know, is like when you when you work out here all the time and you're wearing rain pants and long sleeves all the time, you know, you get kind of tired of it. But then you talk to friends back east or up in L.A. and and, you know, they're dealing with 90 to 100 degrees and 100 percent humidity or, you know, torrential downpours you know they're sitting there sitting there getting mad at you so i just you know have learned to stop talking about the weather out here uh you talked about how uh tournament golf is kind of in your dna what what's your favorite aspect of of you know getting a golf course ready for a big tournament I think I enjoy the pressure the most uh, the per- the pressure to succeed the per- the pressure to perform um, you know it's it's something that you get to look forward to every year and and um, it kind of allows you to see all your hard work uh, be enjoyed on TV and and by professional golfers um, that I don't think other places necessarily get to get to see that so it is unique um but i think once you get to tournament week it's all the you know the people you get to to work with and collaborate with and um see year in and year out and and the pga has been great and the usga has been great as well and and working as a team to to put on the best event as possible and um i think once you get into tournament week it's you're pushing grass to the edge and, you know, you want to, if you're a lot, if you're able to with, with the weather cooperating, um, have those firm conditions, uh, have that, those speeds and, and you're always trying to push it to the edge and, you know, it's, it only takes one, one little thing to go wrong or one mistake or, um, one bad decision to send it over the edge. So I think that, that kind of that adrenaline of, of pushing it to, to create the perfect conditions without taking it too far. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Toro. For more than a century with cutting edge turf equipment and irrigation solutions, Toro has had your front nine covered and your back nine too. In fact, Toro's always had your back, period. Toro is as committed to your long-term success as tour pros are committed to their shot. That's down to top-notch customer service from Toro and its dedicated local distributors both of whom are passionate about delivering turf equipment and irrigation solutions that solve real-world problems. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor today. Now back to Rich. Do you, do you have like a specific moment that, that really stands out in your mind over the years? It could be from Muirfield. It could be from the Farmers where you, it just was like, oh, uh-huh, this is why we put all this work and time into it. Like, do you, do you have a moment that just kind of stands out in your mind? Um, I, I can tell you the thing that stands out the most in my mind is my first tournament here. And it was kind of my welcome to San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, first farmers, January of 16 play was suspended on Sunday due to high winds and rain. Oh, the Snedeker win. Yep. Yep. And I came in, uh, Monday morning. I think I got here about one thirty or two o'clock in the morning just to assess the damage. And I drove down from our maintenance shop and saw one tree down and then another tree down and drove out on the golf course. And I was, as I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. And it was, you know, I made a phone call to my PGA agronomist and it was just, I was like, excuse me. I, 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 
college, like, I don't know how we're going to play today. You know, I had to, there's trees down everywhere. You know, there's 15, 20 trees down on the South course laying across fairways in front of bunkers and, 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 you know, and, and, uh, you know, God love Mark Russell. You know, he comes out and get you know, rules officials come out at seven, seven in the morning to assess the damage. And, you know, they just look at it and they're like, Oh, we have rules that can, you know, we have rules for this and you just got to move this, you know, half this tree off the fairway and we're good to go and got the course ready. I think we teed off at nine and finished later that day. And, um, it was, you know, an eerie feeling with, uh, it was my first event with no spectators on that Monday. We, you know, just with the vulnerability of the trees and, and tents from the high winds that night, uh, course closed down to spectators and <clears throat> kind of, you know, set us up for a COVID tournament and with no spectators on the golf course, like, yeah, we've done this before. So, but yeah, that one stands out the most. Yeah. You know, now that I think of it, it's like, since you've been there, there's just been some wild tournaments. You had that one, which obviously like all time crazy Sunday. And then, you know, leads into the, you know, odd Monday. And for you, it's just got to, it had to be like an, Oh shit morning. I, I you know, it, it makes me think of all those posts. Like if, you know, uh, if Monday morning was like, uh, that's like the ultimate Monday morning right there. That was a good one. Yeah. I'll never forget that. And, you know, it's, you know, all the friends and, and coworkers that over the years at Muirfield, it's, you know, it's the, the curse of chief leather lips followed me out to California. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, we always joke about that. Cause I, you know, that was, the, that's the running story at Muirfield every year. What What's that? What's that story? Oh, just, uh, I think, part of the golf course was built on uh, Indian burial ground um, and chief leather lips, I think was the chief of the, uh, the tribe. And um, you know, it's, you'd have sunny week, perfect week, the, the week before the memorial and the memorial gets there and you get an inch of rain or like this year, yeah, just untimely rains. And, and really, I think the biggest one was uh, the president's cup in October of 13, you know, it was supposed to be one of the drier seasons in, in the Midwest. And, um, we got to October, you know, great weather leading up dry, you know, probably the best the courses looked and firm and you bounce the basketball on the fairways. And we got to, you know, the event and we four or five inches in five days. And it was just, uh, you know, it was one of the most difficult events I've ever had to do. Um, but, you know, it's, I just remember uh, one of the tour meteorologists came on. He's like, I've never seen anything like this. We are sitting 200% above average atmospheric moisture right now. <laughs> it was just like, well, there you go. Only at Mirfield. Yeah, it's, uh, that's funny. It's because then even like last year when they did the back-to-back, it was absolutely perfect for the, the work day, which wasn't the memorial. And then the week of the memorial, they got weather. Yep. It always seems to work out like that. And I don't know, the eight or nine events I did, I think we got one or two dry ones. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's the same same out here. It always seems any course that has a tournament, um, you know, they just seem to get that tough weather, those tough breaks during the week of the tournament. Um, and, uh, you know, I've only had probably one good one here where we haven't gotten rain that you know puts us backwards on firmness and and whatnot so um you always always get lucky was that was that the one that uh with jb holmes in the fairway 
I think it was. It was. Uh, I think it was the year. Yeah, was that Jason, Jason Day, Day one. Norn, and Norn. Yeah. yeah, and they had that playoff late into the night. Yep, yep. We were really firm, uh, the firmest we've ever been for farmers, and uh, I thought conditions were really good um, as far as greens firmness, and um, you know, it was yeah that that playoff that went into and into Monday the morning. Oscars. Yeah, and then and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Oscars. JJ, yeah. highest JJ TV Holmes. ratings though. <laughs> yeah. it's, well, it's, it's crazy because you had that moment. You had the um, you had obviously the crazy storm. You had the Kobe thing happen, and then you've had COVID. It's like you you've you've brought memorial to to San Diego. <laughs> it is. It uh, it seems like every tournament something's happened. Every I I still remember where I was, uh, when the, when the Kobe news came out, but, um, yeah, very eerie feeling set across the golf course. It's almost, uh, you heard the murmurs and then it just got a, an eerie silence, um, across the golf course. It was, it was, uh, a weird day for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so with uh, moving on to, you know, the future here where we're going to have great conditions in a couple of weeks, but, Talk a little bit about the how everybody sees Tory all the time. We saw it in 2008, obviously, but how how is it, it? Are you expecting it to play differently for the U.S. Open than it it does it does year in year out for the farmers? Yeah, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head. I think the biggest um, factor and difference is going to be the conditions. Um, you know, we're in a time in California where it just doesn't rain. So we're going to be able to dictate those conditions rather than um, having to work through, through weather and, and rainstorms leading up to the event. So, um, you know, very, uh, very cautious of our uh, water inputs right now, uh, making sure we get our deep water in early enough to get us through the week and really trying to, set the greens up to be as firm as they possibly can um, and, and controlling that moisture and, and, and the moisture management across the golf course. I think you're going to see, uh, you know, firm, firm, fast conditions uh, on fairways and greens. And I think that's going to be the biggest factor or the biggest difference um, than, than we typically see year in, year out from the farmers. Um, I think rough could potentially, I think we'll see with the, with the, um, the mix of grasses we have in the rough right now, I think you're going to see some more. Um, you're not going to see the same lie and all the, the, all the balls that go in the rough. I think you're going to see um, some unpredictable lies and, and, you know, really guys making sure, or, you know, not making sure, but thinking, having to think about each shot out of the rough uh, just mm-hmm. with uh, the presence of more Kakuya uh, mixed in with the ryegrass and the Poe in the rough. Is that is that new uh, that mixture or is that something we've you know seen all through time just just when it, you know with with it in June the grass that kukuya grows a little bit more. Yeah, so kukuya is warm season grass. You know, it, we it that's why we overseed in the in the winter. Um, it just and, and you you notice it at Riviera. Um, their rough mm-hmm. is based on what type of winter we're having in Southern California. You know, if they have a if we have a warm winter, they have a, you know, more of a, um, you know, thicker standard rough per se. And, and if it's a cold winter, it's, it's, 
can be can be spotty as far as as heights and consistency but you know we see that down here and it's a big factor why we overseed in the winter for the farmers um and and then also just recovery kikuya is not growing as much so divots on fairways uh cart traffic uh golf traffic um kikuya is just not able to to recover like it does uh, right now, soil temps are up, uh, air temps are up. Um, you know, we've really focused on trying to get Kakuya up and going. Um, I think, and I've talked about it with friends um, uh, in San Diego and up in LA. It's we always, you know, within a certain uh, miles of the coast, you're always in a transition period. You can, you can. Mm-hmm maintain cool season grass all year you can maintain warm season grass all year so we're always in that transition period and after the farmers this year we scalped our rough down to about an inch inch and a half just trying to open up the canopy to get that kikuya moving um and and you know i think we we've been pretty successful i think you're going to see uh um a good mix of kikuya and ryegrass in the rough um and have, it's going to be a thick and dense rough but i think that kikuya is going to provide a little bit of a cushion to where if a ball comes into the rough it could end up sitting a little bit up or it could drop all the way down to the bottom so i think you're going to see a lot of inconsistent lies in the rough which um i think will potentially be interesting i i do too i think that's that's one of my biggest you know i think what we saw at wingfoot last year which is you know they do a big restoration and everybody wants that like mono culture. I think that's the right term. I'm, I, I don't know enough about turf. I just, you know, I know enough to make myself sound like an idiot. Um, but, uh, the, uh, that, that single strain rough is great, but then it becomes very predictable where if you have a, a mixture, it, it makes it more unpredictable and more like a, you know, what we see in, in an open championship where you get that, you don't ever know how that ball is going to come out of that that lie. Yeah, and I think I think we are going to see that. I, I've seen some golf balls that have sat all the way down to the you know the ground and the rough, and I've seen some that have kind of popped up and um, you know sitting could sit inch two inches off the ground. And um, I know I struggled trying to hit those different shots out of the rough, but I'm mm-hmm. also not a not a great golfer. Yeah, or have like a world class caddy uh, on the back too. Yeah, that's, exactly. You know, <laughs> seen every lie in the books. It's uh, how uh, you know. Obviously, you've worked with the uh, the PGA Tour your entire career uh, between Muirfield and then every year at Tory. How is it? How has it been different? You know, what are the different aspects working with the USGA for this championship? At, you know, in, in terms of planning and and just how the, how you guys work together. Um, I think, well, and, and I think, I think the big difference is it's year in, year out with the tour, um, or with the USGA, it, I wouldn't say more planning, but I think we're just more, more communication between each other. Um, and I, and I try to do that with the tour too. It's, you know, let them know, um, what's going on, what issues we're having. And, and my biggest, um, goal and pet peeve is just to make sure there's no surprises for anyone when they show up that week, um, which I think goes a long way with everyone. And um, they've both, I mean, they're both great organizations. They've both been great to work with. Um, You know, it it is a team effort with, with all of them or both, 
both parties. So I think I think the big difference, like I said, is it's year in, year out with the tour. So you see those guys every year. Um, they kind of know what to expect. Uh, and, and then, you know, working with the USGA, just trying a little bit more communication just so they get to know me. They get to know how I act, react, um, what my um, goals and issues are. To um, So we're, we're just all on the same page and, you know, we're not having to have, you know, any tough, tough conversations, even though there, there will be some with both. Um, mm-hmm. Just trying to keep those open lines of communication, I think, is, is key. Yeah, I imagine that familiarity coming year in, year out for the PGA Tour makes it a little bit easier. That's understandable, you know, like then somebody coming in new and not only, you know, you come here once every, say, 10, 15 years, but you're also hosting, you know, one of the biggest championships of the year. It it makes, you know, having to communicate a little bit more, uh, you know, imp- uh, important. Yeah, and we I mean we've been talking um for the last five years with the you know USGA and, and Jeff and John and, and Mike Davis uh at the beginning and um Darren always um you know have been in communication with Darren for the last you know four or five years. Um so we have gotten to know each other over those five years and it's it's been a really good relationship and um i think uh, everyone's excited to to have the event back at tory i imagine the infrastructure needs are just like you know it's just got to be huge compare well i guess it's a weird year now that i think about it but like if it if say we weren't living in a covid world the build out compared to a, a tour events just got to be crazy yeah and i thought so yeah i transitioned from the memorial um you know seventy thousand square feet of tents or floors to the president's cup which i think we did 120,000 square feet of floors to the farmers were were upwards of 400,000 square feet of floors which it's one of the biggest builds on tour mm-hmm. um so i i that has been huge and kind of helping me work with operations and the vendors and kind of understanding what, what's going to happen and what we need to do to help them out and make sure that they're, they're getting done what they need to get done and not getting in their way or causing any issues. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest, I wouldn't say surprise, but, um, thing that's kind of made me step back and be like wow is is the back of house so all the player services the volunteer the media all the tents that go on that are are built on the north course right now um it is a massive production bigger than than what we see for the farmers um it's been it's been impressive to see and watch and all the coordination and all the different vendors that have uh been out and and on property over the last month or so, um, uh, you know, creating a small village. Mm-hmm. Um, with, uh, with the course and, you know, over the years you've been there, obviously you guys underwent a renovation. Can you talk, give us a little insight into how it was to work on, on the renovation and just the overall process of, of getting that done and, and, uh, you know, at a municipal facility where you, you want to have as little disruption of play as possible. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a big challenge. It was a lot of work, um, but it was a lot of fun. I, I really like doing, 
doing big projects and and planning and coordinating and then carrying out and um, you know making sure that we end on budget and uh, on time and I think Mirfield helped me out a lot with that with all the changes and all the the projects that we did there and and the tight window to get it done. Um, I think the biggest challenge here was we never shut down the golf course and we only closed two holes at a time, um, which obviously runs costs up, but it allows, allows for accessibility and, um, and, and people to revenue get, to keep coming through the door. That's like yeah. the thing I think people don't understand about public golf courses is like, it's super hard for them to shut down and do an extensive renovation. Like it's, it's much easier for a club to say to the members, all right, we're closed. Like it's really hard to say no to, to revenue. Cause there's no dues coming in the door. Exactly. I mean, you're taking, you're taking a bigger hit than just construction costs at that point. You're losing mm-hmm. revenue for the year. And, um, you know, the, the project was mainly, you know, we had upgraded the irrigation at Balboa park. Um, uh, mission Bay is in the process of, of upgrading their, their irrigation and infrastructure. And it was a big, upgrade of infrastructure really and, and um, modernizing the, the irrigation and the bunkers and and whatnot to allow us to be successful and sustainable for the next 20 30 years mm-hmm. what with with you being a municipality is is there anything that you know when you look back at the changes you made at Muirfield Village that made the process, you know, just maybe more difficult or more costly outside of just having to do it, you know, by, by, um, you know, two holes at a time. I think, uh, you know, closing two holes at a time required a bigger construction crew, um, and a tight window just to, you know, everything had to be done on one hole or two holes before you, you moved on to the next one. So you were installing irrigation while you were moving bunkers and, and installing, uh, uh, bunker liners and sand and sodding, uh, the tees and the construction areas. So everything had to be coordinated and, and done on, on just those two holes before you could move on. And, you know, I, I don't know that, costs were you know it's hard to to compare the two obviously Mm -hmm. the two different regions um coastal being coastal you're you know you're dealing with the coastal commission um we have a lot of environmental um monitors out here as well during the project so i mean noise um archaeological monitors um, you know, monitoring the wildlife and, and making sure we weren't disrupting um, areas where there was protected species. And, you know, it, it seems like, um, you know, the summers, we our construction periods always fall around nesting periods for protected birds. So a lot of monitoring, um, a lot of a lot of things needed to be done just to, to keep the project going. So I, I think that could potentially um, cause an increase in costs, but um, yeah, it's, it's hard, you know, different, different States, different regulations, and then being coastal is a, is a big, um, big part of that. With the uh, environmental stuff, I, I, I've always wondered, you know, with the canyons there, is there, are, are there restrictions on, on the, um, you know, holes playing along them or just, you know, where you can get the golf holes out there? Um, there's, I think there's a, a number of factors. Um, uh, 
Yes, there there is uh, something's called an MHPA line, and it, it's essentially a protected um, area along the canyons, and it and it comes in and out of the golf course, and um, you know you aren't able to go into those areas, and if you do, you need to mitigate. So you need to you know for the a number of plants that you affected in that area, you have to replant. I forget. I think it's twice as many or three times as many in a different area. Um, so that's an inhibiting factor. And I, and I think a big one is, is trees. Um, mm-hmm. So where, uh, you know, unfortunately we've lost a lot of trees over the years, but um, you know, you can't just take down a tree to move a golf hole closer, closer to the canyon. Yeah. So the areas that we have lost some trees, we've taken advantage of it. Um, but the, the Torrey pine is extremely protected and, you know, we've, we've been hit hard over the last uh, five to 10 years with the loss of Tories. So we're really doing everything we can to protect them and, and to keep, uh, keep the ones that are still there going. So trying to reduce construction around those, those areas and those trees and, and to make sure that we aren't the reasons that they're, that they are, um, you know, we're losing them. Coming down. Yep. Yeah. Um, with, uh, you know, you talked about how much you enjoy the pressure of, uh, tournament golf and setting up courses for it was it did you feel a similar way with the with the project yeah um big time i mean tight tight window uh we had to be done prior to october to to make sure we were able to oversee it and start to get ready for the farmers um i think growing everything in it was a challenge, you know, you opened up a hole that you just put sod down last week. So trying to keep traffic off those areas, trying to put enough water down to grow those areas in, but not too much to where traffic would cause more compaction and more detriment to the areas. Um, and then you're trying to work that texture in those surfaces and um, the drain lines that have, you know, might've settled a little bit. Uh, you know, that, that winter was a tough one trying to get the course back to a position where, I mean, the, the, the end goal is, you know, when you see it on TV that following year that it, you don't notice that there was a project that happened. So that was, that was a lot of stress that, that whole year. Unless you're making like big aesthetic changes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 I mean, we did, we did change a few holes obviously and move some bunkers that I think the course obviously looked a lot different. And I, I think a lot of the changes we did, um, you know, increased the aesthetics of the golf course and, and brought some, some challenges back in, but, um, you know, just to not notice the, you know, drain lines or settled trenches mm-hmm. or some of your, your, uh, hall roads, um, I think was the biggest thing. With the tees being leveled, was that just, you know, uh, since the last Reese work, it, it had just, you know, shifted, you know, the, the tees where it was and, and I, one question I have is if the T, you know, a lot of those T's are built up, if they were built lower, would you have less shift? I think, um, I think the biggest thing was just the amount of play that we see. So you, you tend to, mm-hmm. I think you get a little bit of a crown on your T's, uh, yeah. or vice versa. I think versa. anybody that's played golf knows what happens to T's, yep. you know, yep. they, they, you get that little slope and you feel like you can't find a flat line. Yep. So just trying to get that back, um, from, from the last time that, you know, I think what 2001 was the last time. So it's almost 20 years. And I mean, I think the biggest thing was 
all our green surrounds, they were kind of, they almost had turned into uh, like bowls around the bunkers. So all that sand buildup. And we took anywhere from a foot to three feet of sand buildup off the edges of the greens, just from all of the rounds and all of the sand ending up on on the faces. Mm-hmm. What uh, I got to put you on the spot here. What do you expect the winning score to be? If you had to just guess. Oh, wow. we're, we're three yeah. weeks you out. Know, you know, this is... This is a tough question, the hard-hitting one. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I'll be happy with uh with a single digit number winning. Um I you know, obviously you like to keep it around even, but these guys are so good anymore. Um you have one guy that goes off on a week and he you know, it doesn't matter how difficult the golf course is, he's gonna shoot lights out regardless. And I think we saw that with Justin Rose the year he twenty one under and everyone's like, Oh, you defenseless mm-hmm. guys it's like, Well, all the rest of the scores were like twelve under. So it wasn't yeah. that that easy of a golf course. He just couldn't miss that week. So I'd be happy with uh, a single digit number and then even happier if it was under five. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I really appreciate the time. I know you're a busy guy, um, especially at this time of year. And I did, you know, just want to say I was really when I was out there in uh, April, it's so impressed with the, with the condition uh, that you got that place in, given, you know, how much play you get it. it you know, you you present uh, conditions, you know, on par with the with some of the best clubs in the world. And, and that's really an unbelievable uh, achievement, given, you know, the the what you guys deal with, with, with play and, uh, and everything out there. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I got a great team out here and great staff and, uh, it's, it's good to hear those comments. And, you know, I think we, we just hope that everyone is able to, uh, enjoy, enjoy the U S open and, and hope for a good one this year. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it, it just it comes in the ballpark of 2008, right? Just get in the same stratosphere. Yeah. You know? yeah, I don't know that. That was one of the best ones ever. It's going to be hard to follow that one up, but uh, we can hope for the best. All right. Thanks so much, Rich, and have a, have a great couple weeks before the championship. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.